What's happening, Rebels? Hope you are having a great week. We've got a good broadcast for you. My friend Emerson Egrich is here to talk about his book, The Four Wills of God. Here's the truth. We just have a great conversation. Emerson is so interesting. He is the author of Love and Respect. It is one of the greatest books for marriage you can have. If that book is not in your uh, marriage library arsenal, in your toolbox, get Love and Respect. That will change your communication style with your spouse and with the opposite sex completely. It's a fantastic one. You will love the four wills of God. Man, if you want to dig a little bit deeper into your faith, really talk about what God wants. There's four wills that are mentioned in the New Testament. This is a gorgeous book. It made me deeper. I got to be honest. It made me deeper. I just got, I got deeper with the Lord and you will with this book and the broadcast today. You're going to love it. This week, if you've signed up for the upgrade, we start, let's see, there's so much coming out this week. Uh, you'll get Allie Worthington alongside talking about how to help a friend in crisis. You get all the mom strong videos and materials are coming out this week. Uh, and we postponed the Q and a with Heidi St. John, because so many of you signed up, we didn't want you to miss out. So you can start emailing all your questions in anything about becoming mom strong, email it to us, help at rebelparenting.org help at rebelparenting.org. It's going to be myself, producer Kay, the Atomic Mom, Laura's going to be on, and we're going to do another one with Heidi St. John herself. All questions from you answered by us. Don't forget it. Upgrade, man. So much fun. And this week we start, we stood upon stars, Roger Thompson. I'm telling you, women who've signed up, Get your husbands. I promise they're going to want to read this one. This one, it's like poetry for people that love adventure. This will be inspiring. We Stood Upon Stars by Roger Thompson. I cannot wait to dive into this one with you. You're going to flip out when you start reading this one. It is so, so good. And last but not least, um, I'm saying this one because we got a bunch of calls and emails about it. People are trying to get rid of the porn in their life. I appreciate that. I recommend that you do that as well. We recommend something called Circle. Circle is a filter. It goes in between your router and your internet and it filters the porn out. Uh, it does not throttle your speed down. I've tested it. We use it in the Dobson household. Um, you can set bedtimes. You can set time limits on apps. You know, if you don't want your kid on Twitter that long or Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever it is, it works with tablets, um, iPhones, laptops, desktops, uh, Roku, Apple TV. Uh, I think it even picked up my Kindle. It works with all kinds of stuff. Circle, to find the link, you can go to any one of our social media pages. You can go to Facebook, you can go to Instagram, you can go to Twitter, and we'll put the link to Circle right there. And when you purchase Circle, it helps out Rebel Parenting. So you get help, we get help, everybody wins. Let's cut out the fluff jump in to today's broadcast with Emerson Egrich talking about the four wills of God on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. So Emerson, first of all, I love that your dedication and talks about Joy. Joy's one of my favorite people. I know she's not, she's got her own thing and she's doing that now, but her videos on relationships and she was working on love and respect were hilarious. I mean, she was so ahead of her time on the YouTube humor front. Um, but in the dedication, you say that she was the impetus, that you had had this book sitting on a shelf for a long time. One, why not publish it? And two, how did she find it and then kind of force the issue with that? No, those are great questions. Uh, Joy, my daughter, um, was affected personally by it because there was a season 
a patch where she was trying to figure out if she should move from Los Angeles mm -hmm. to Portland. And um, she said, Dad, I, I really think that God is, is leading me to Portland. And I said, well, on what basis? What, what, what do you sense? She said, well, I've really been praying about it, and I see a lot of Oregon license plates on cars down here in Los Angeles. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, um, hey, let's do this. Let's start looking for license plates to Ohio. I said, Joy, you're going to see what you look for. And she kind of, you know, felt sheepish there. But I said, you know, there are four wills in the New Testament that say this is the will of God. Now, we know there's more to the will of God than those four, but because I studied the Bible 30 hours a week, nearly 20 years as a senior pastor, these passages are like marked in gold, they're like highlighted, like John 3.16 or Romans 8.28. There isn't a sense that it's the first verse of the first chapter, but certain things kind of come to the top like cream. And certainly when you see, obviously, um, Peter and Paul and Jesus saying, this is the will of God. And uh, I then shared these four with her and asked her if she was responding to those, following those, and she said she was. And I said, Joy, you're free to stay in L.A. or free to go to Oregon, given all things are equal. And I explained to her, and we'll talk about that today, uh, how the application of those four can just completely liberate you. And she was totally free, because many people fear missing God's will. And they are, uh, you know, that paralysis of analysis. And she was not totally in that camp, but she could certainly relate with it. And she then began to espouse to friends, you've got to hear this message, how this liberated me, uh, freed me. And because I had that book setting on the shelf, due to the fact that love and respect is a brand, that as you know in publishing, right. they want to keep you under brand. Ah, totally. I've got all these sermons, all these teachings, all this pastoral counseling. I have been using the four wills, my pastoral counseling, for years. And, and as one guy just wrote me, he said, I can tell you didn't just write this book. I said, no, I've been applying this to my life and to other people for 40 years in ministry. Totally. And it was sitting there, but it wasn't brand to your question. And so Joanne said, Dad, we got to get this out there. And so uh, she spearheaded that. Oh, I love it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. You know, it's interesting, Emerson, I was watching a documentary over the weekend called The History of Comedy. I'm obsessed with stand-up. And they were talking about shifts in comedy, major shifts that I wasn't aware of, um, how comedy changed and, and shifted where it started. Uh, one of the major shifts was... Bill Cosby, obviously a controversial figure today, but he was one of the first comedians to tell a story that was funny that people thought was true. It didn't have to be true. In fact, I just saw a comedy special. There's a, a comedian named Joe Rogan, and he said this line in his last special. He said, I promise to tell you the truth, <laughs> unless a lie is funnier. And he made that, and I was like, that's really interesting where... You have comedians today that completely make up stories that you think and believe are true about them, their life, their interactions, completely made up. There's this interesting thing that keeps coming to Rebel Parenting in the parenting world. Uh, we're going to interview um, uh, Dr. William Strixrud and Ned Johnson about the self-driven child. And we have Raising Kind Kids. And we have 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, Amy Morin. And I really feel like the four wheels of God falls into this vein. Paul Tripp in parenting, you know, for so long in, in the parenting world, we have what Paul explained to me as this event-based win-loss parenting. An event takes place. Your child lies. They hit their sister. Something happens. Um, 
And their response to your parenting is a win-loss. Either they uh, behave correctly and are sorry for hitting their sister or lying, and then you win and we move on. If they aren't sorry, if they fight with you, you lose. And now we're in this adversarial relationship with our kids where we fight with them all the time and, and we're trying to win battles, you know, things like that. What I think is interesting with Four Wills is it, it requires so much more trust and faith in the Lord. The gospel we say we believe in. Uh, and giving our kids responsibility that we traditionally don't do. To say, you know, one of the things in Self-Driven Child, I love you too much to fight with you over your homework. If that means you don't go to the college we believe you are qualified to go to, then that's then so be it. But you have to be an adult. And I think when you, you know when you talked about joy in this book and you talk about teaching these four wills to where you feel free because you know you're 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 already in track with the Lord. You you're you're that freedom is so important, I think, as a parent, it kind of lifts that weight a little bit. We we remember again, oh that's right, Jesus saves. It's not me. Jesus is the one that leads them to heaven. I just have to introduce the you know these subjects and topics well no and i uh, in our love and respect uh in the family will address this issue which in some ways is not inspiring to parents the point you make but at the end of the day i can't control those ultimate outcomes in my children mm-hmm. you know i can only control my actions and reactions to my children and uh, to your point if everything becomes a win-loss thing that i'm a success today if i'm you know, my child is responding to me in this particular event, and I'm a failure if they're not, and my whole self-image rests on their performance. I mean, this thing, so how do we plot? How do, how do we parent God's way? And how, and can we actually parent God's way and do God's will as a parent during seasons and patches where my child is not responding to me? You know, I, I point yes. out that the father of the prodigal, uh, you know, has these, you know, hedonistic, uh, indulgent second born that we all know about the prodigal and but he has the self-righteous angry judgmental older son who's at home who represented the Jew and the young boy represented the Gentiles that's a deeper theological point but Jesus looked at life and he watched what was happening but I, I like this to ask this question would any of us ask this father to come and teach us and train us on parenting he's got a hedonistic self-centered you know sensual Second born, he's got a self-righteous, religious, judgmental, hostile firstborn. Mm-hmm. So come and tell us how to parent. And we and use yet, this as parenting all the time. Isn't that well, interesting? When you explain well, it this way, I, I know the answer I want to give, and yet I think we continue to use this story in parenting. Keep going, I love it. Well, my point there is that Jesus holds his father up as a replica of our father. So it raises the question, was he parenting in a way that reflected the very heart of God, that it reflected God himself. Mm. And can I parent God's way when my children are not responding? I just spoke on this topic. I would have been a great parent had it not been for the kids. It's so, great. It's so deep, though. It, what you're well, saying is so deep because you, you are, I love it, because seemingly from the outside world, 2018, our nosy neighbors are looking at my kids if I'm the, the, the father of the prodigal going, my goodness, that self-righteous, indignant, you know, zealot down the street corner, you know, look at that ankle showing and how dare you show your face and I can't believe you spend your money and you better get on your knees and pray and then the other son, I can't believe he's with the whores and he's drinking and he's doing drugs and he's, you know, wasting your money. I thought, what a terrible parent you are. 
And what the Lord says is, what are you talking about? This guy's, I mean, look at the example. Look at how he spoke to the older son. Look how he responded to the younger son. I mean, that's so deep to then take a step back and say, you know what? All that judgment I have towards maybe my neighbor or my parents or, a, or who, whatever parent in the supermarket I'm judging, you know what? Who knows? Who knows? That's I love this, Emerson. That's deep. That's partly why then the, the, the challenging, we all want to control our kids. We all want them to be controlled. I say there's control, then there's counsel, then there's casting off. Mm. And there comes a moment when we can't control the toddler because now it happens to be 18 years old. So how do we deal with this? And part of the frustration is that people feel that there are failures as parents if during these seasons their children are not responding to them accordingly. Mm. But I believe that I can parent God's way unto Jesus Christ and will hear well done even if my child chooses to disobey me. Now some people hold on to Proverbs 22 where it talks mm. about training up a child and the way they should go and when they're older they'll not depart from it. But Solomon who said that had a son called Rehoboam yeah. who the most wicked of kings in Israel. I mean, the guy who was one bad dude didn't listen to anything his dad said, and Yahweh appeared to Solomon twice. But also, we have to understand these scriptures are pithy statements. They're not promises, because there's also, the, the verse that says, answer a fool according to his folly, and, and the next verse says, do not answer a fool according to his, his folly. And you also have this teaching that if you are humble and you are righteous, you will live a long life, you will be honored, and you'll be wealthy. Okay, so if you're not wealthy, does that mean you're not humble? And if because Jesus died at age 33, was he somehow how not righteous because he didn't live long? These are these are principles, and so some people hold on to that Proverbs 22 as a promise, and then either either God is not reliable, or I have failed as a parent, or my children have shamed me. I mean, we move into this whole way of interpreting things that ends up sabotaging the very longing of our hearts, and so. I challenge people, this is a this is a marathon, you stay the course, and you have to see that your children are eventually going to be adults. You know, when I was writing Love and Respect in the Family, I waited to write that book. Uh, I didn't intend to, you know, I had my PhD right. in families and, and fathering in my dissertation, but I wanted my children to be adults to speak into this. And they remembered none of the things, uh, all the things that I thought I did bad, they didn't remember and I thought, wow, that's wonderful. But then the things that they did remember that I did poorly, I did remember. And I, I wanted to quit a couple times writing the book because I felt like, whoa. But they're the three ones, they endorsed it, and they said, you need to write this, Dad, because this is principle-driven. This is who God calls a parent to be, independent of their children. But that's exactly what frightens some parents because they feel at that point they don't have control, that somehow then this increases their anxiety. But it comes back to, again, Will I entrust my child and myself to Jesus Christ? Is This really is a faith venture, and God is fully capable. If I'm the real deal, and I'm living an authentic life over the next 20 years, kids are going to smell off, smell out the real thing. Yeah. You know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to know. Now, there's that period where, as a Friday night, I remember Sarah was saying to my kids and teenagers, "You know, what do we do? You got your PhD in fathering." And I said, "I have no idea." They were all rebellion. They all had an attitude. You know, I, I, I didn't, I said, I don't know, honey. We just have to give this over to Jesus Christ. But I wasn't afraid because I saw the long-term thing that if I lived the way God wanted me to live, my children would come to a point where they're going to either choose my faith and values or reject it. But they're going to do so based on who I am, not on base of what I always was telling them. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I really like that. That's really deep. Uh, 
I tell you what I like about it, Emerson, is you're giving parents freedom. And um, here's what I know who I used to be. Um, you know, I, I tend judgmental, binary, black and white, my way or the highway. That's just my personality temperament. And so I know had I not been reading books from you and Paul Tripp and Amy Moore and, and these guys, sometimes parents express their freedom in their parenting as uh, you made your bed, now lay in it. You know, where I told you all the right things, I modeled the right behavior, we sent you to church, and we went to church with you, and you know what's right, and you've done these things, well, okay, you made your bed, lay in it. It's that prideful, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of, and I know that's not what this is, and it's not what you're saying, it's not the Paul Tripp thing, no, this is... Yeah, but you bring up a great point. That's the error. And if you, that's, that, that moves into indifference. That's almost like arrogance and pride. So, yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. And indifference is so isolating. It feels so shaming of, I don't even care about you. You did yes. this to yourself. I didn't do this. You go by, your, you know, and, and that's not your, yes. that's not the will of the Lord. That's not the things that you're talking about. This is the, you know... I tell you what, I know that there were days where my parents were on their knees before the Lord, crying out, saying, we don't have any idea what to do. Lord, we've done what we can do. We've done all we can do, Lord. You've got to take him. You've got to protect him. We've got a crazy kid. He's trying to kill himself. You've got to do this, Lord. That's a completely different attitude than me coming home late, you know, going, well, you made your bed, dummy, laying it. That's right. No, and I, 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 I looked at every passage in the Old and New Testament that deals with parenting, not just principles that might, but everything. And I, then I worked hard at putting in an acronym called GUIDES, G-U-I-D-E-S, mm -hmm. that would be giving. Each of these are based on Jesus and the apostles and the prophets. Giving, understanding, instructing, disciplining, encouraging, and supplicating. Mm -hmm. And that what you talk about, but giving, understanding, instructing, disciplining, encouraging, and subjugating. We keep doing that, whether or not they're responding to us or not. We don't take the attitude, hey, you know what, you've made your bed, now sleep in it. No, 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 no. We continue to act on guides because we're called to be guides. We stay engaged, but we recognize I can't control this. I can tell my child to say thank you, but I cannot coerce them to be grateful. I can take them to church and demand that they sing, but I cannot coerce them into be a genuine worshiper. That there comes a moment when they have to make those internal choices. Yep. But I continue to create that broad framework. Here's how I believe we ought to live. Here's what I'm struggling with in my own life. I wasn't grateful the other day. I, I was just singing the songs, not even thinking about them. I mean, that transparency about my own inadequacies, that's that real deal, and eventually, the children are going to smell that and come around to that. In fact, I look back on the many children in my church who are now grown who love Jesus Christ, and it's because their dad was standing in the narthex talking about how the sermon convicted him. Wow. You know, and the kids were listening to dad. Right. Dad was saying, did you get that? He said, oh, man. I, oh, wow. Whoa, I got to deal with some stuff. You know what I mean? And the kids are watching that. They're, you know, they're playing with a ball or whatever. But now I look at those kids. They're in missions. They're in ministry. They're, they're serving Christ in medicine. I mean, they, they're educated. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. So the reminder again is if we're living this out, we're consistently staying engaged, and we're living in this, you know, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. If Hebrew says parents did what seemed best. They discipline us according to what seemed best. And I teach this idea that it's subjective. You don't have a formula here. 
We have to do what seems best. And so on any given day, we don't know if it was best, but we do what seems best. And that's the call of God on our life. And when we do that over many, many months and years, it's probably going to turn out quite well. Yeah, it really is. Adults, and they're going to seek your counsel. And David, my middle, who had the most difficulty with my parenting, gives my book on the family to his friends saying, Dad, they don't know how to parent. Yeah, it's true. I was talking to a pastor two weeks ago, and he said, uh, with his first two, everything was a teaching moment. Everything was do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. It was just constant writing, constant writing. Uh, and the Lord really, you know, kind of turned him around. And he said the bottom three, he was just trying to love the Lord the best he could. Wow. And that his first two kids struggle more. Um, they just do. And, and I noticed that in my life. Uh, I was so black and white with Lincoln for the first good chunk of his life and not with Lucy. And they relate differently to me in that aspect. And so I've had to look at my parenting and uh, some harshness or anger and, you know, fear-based parenting, the fear, the non-faith in the Lord, not trusting the Lord with my kids and go back to my son and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that I took responsibility for your salvation into my own hands and didn't put in the Lord and really kind of own up to some of those things saying, I wasn't believing the Lord the way I'm trying to teach you to believe the Lord. And that's your first will of God that you believe in Jesus Christ. That's the first, and that's so important. That's a model behavior. Well, and shifting to the four wills of God, as you referenced, there are these four and Jesus in John 6, 40 said, you know, believing in Him, beholding and believing. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. But even on this point, that I, t I take the tack in the book, that why should we believe in Jesus Christ? Well, partly for what He said, eternal life is based on that. But when our hearts are actively trusting Christ, and we're looking to Christ with the eyes of our heart, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, there is what I call this triggering of the unique will of God. If we respond to the universal will of God by doing here what God says we're to do, it triggers or activates our experience of his unique will. And this is one of the motifs in the book, and this is what I said to Joy, my daughter, is based on 1 John 3.22 and other verses. And, and whatever you ask, you receive because you keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, do his universal will, obey it, keep it, please him on that front, and now turn around on a personal subjective basis and ask him to reveal something to you. In all likelihood, you're going to find a response because you're keeping the universal will of God. Right. Then the question arises, well, what if you do those universal wills, and but God doesn't respond? And that's the second part of the book that I talk about. Mm. But one of the points I also make is there's more to the will of God than these four. This is not a legalistic thing. But I always joke, I said, if, you'll, if, if, if you ignore these four, you'll probably ignore the rest. That's right. It's like the Lord is saying, start here. Yeah. High yeah. and gold, start here. Are you actively trusting me? You're going to fail at this. Nobody does this perfect. But is your heart turning toward me, Christ Jesus? And if so, your heart is toward me. I'm going to reveal my heart to you. This is the nature of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's one of the points I make in the book, that if we align ourselves there, God begins to respond. And I get story after story after story of how God worked in a person's life. And on the parenting topic, mm -hmm. 
when a parent lives this way and that child sees this, they catch you praying together, giving something over to Christ, and then if they see an answer to prayer, baby, you are so far down the line, you could you could stop talking to your kids for several months and you're, you're still way ahead of the game, so to speak. It's true. You know, when I, my dad, when he was a baby, uh, his parents attested to this. Uh, he learned to pray before he learned to talk. Wow. And it, 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 it's, it's a crazy story. It sounds a little uh, uh, farcical. It's not. This, the honest truth, his dad, you know shoes, you know you have a shoe like this. I'm holding my hand up for those just listening. On the top of your toes of the shoe, my, my grandpa was a pastor and he wore leather shoes, you know, dress shoes every day. He had holes above his toes. Wow. Because he knelt so often praying. Like literally he wore holes in the tops of his shoes. And he and my grandma would pray all the time. And as an infant, my dad started to mumble like they prayed because that's what he heard most in the home. That's powerful. You know, you're saying that you're right. If you teach those things to kids, you're so far ahead of the game. You really, it's, it's so much harder though, because what we, I think maybe just for, not just for rebels, but for humans, it's that control. It's the control is so hard to let go of. It's so hard to say, Eternity is so important. It's so important. It's forever. Eternity is the most important thing. If I blow it and I don't spend eternity in heaven with my kid, I would have failed as a parent. That pressure can beat us down. And the Lord says, I hear you. I do. But that's also not the right way to parent either. It's not yes. about that. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's that tension. Um, you know, Jonathan, my oldest, he's, he's got a seven-year-old right now. He's talked about the fact that he asked Jesus into his heart early on. And he doesn't want that for his son because he just felt that that put uh, a pressure. So he's, and yet Jackson has received Christ and he's a he's adopted. He's just a great kid. Mm-hmm. He's, he's actually a genius. And he just gave his testimony as a seven-year-old to a thousand people at his school because he's so mature that the, the staff wanted him to get up there and talk to all these parents that were there. Okay, so I said to Jonathan, I guess we, in effect we don't have to be too worried about this. But to your point, as parents, we, we want our kids to come to Christ, but do you, you force that too much? Right. Uh, how do you, and that's where we have to do what seems best. But the deeper thing is, am I relaxed and just trusting Christ? Am I enjoying the Lord? Am I just trusting Him and abiding in Him? And that's the thing that children need to see. How sad that we become bald-headed men selling hair restoration oil. Yeah, that's right. you know, that there's a there's a huge discrepancy here. Here, take this hair restoration oil and use it for your bald head because it'll cause your hair to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're bald. Hey, don't pay any attention to me. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Yeah. And we all laugh at that, but that's somehow a replica of how I used to parent at some level. I remember yelling at the kids to get them to stop yelling. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yep. I, who's got two thumbs and has done that? This guy, for sure. And so, Emerson, before we get into the other wills of God, because I definitely want to get into that, talk us as parents down from the ledge. Like, I know I'm going to have to do this in the next uh-huh. interview as well, because that's, you know, I, I am. I, I was talking to someone literally right before you and I talked about my problem with anger and his problem with anger, and it all deals with entitlement 
It deals with measuring and keeping score and saying, I deserve something different and I didn't get it and I'm going to be angry because of it. And I'm not trusting the Lord and he's not either. And we're talk the parents down where we, we, we fall into the angry parenting. We fall into the yelling to stop yelling, you know. How do we get down from the ledge to dive back into the will of God to get that peace? Well, no, that's an excellent question, and I, I appreciate that. And I think part of the teaching that I see in the Old Testament is that children are to honor father and mother. And so I take the position that much of what triggers our negativity as parents is this feeling that they're not respecting me, they're disregarding me, and that we react to that. And uh, it, it manifests itself in anger. Uh, even the idea of control, again, that's our way of trying to prevent fear and anxiety. I mean, there can be virtue in some of these methods. But I think, and there's even virtue in the, in the idea of being honored, that you, you told your child what to do, they didn't do it, and we feel disrespected and dishonored. And what happens then, we negatively react to that in ways that ends up feeling unloving to our child. Then when a child feels unloved, they react in a way that feels disrespectful and on what I call the family crazy cycle, and it yeah. spins. So one of the things that we have to do is get in tune, particularly fathers, that it's okay to have a need to feel respected. Because what that does, it gets suppressed because it feels narcissistic. The wife may say you're just being egotistical because she tends to be a little bit more softer and not as reactionary. But men are designed to be honored in particular, and when they feel dishonored, they react. So one of the things we have to do is get in tune. I am feeling this right now. I am feeling dishonored. I am feeling disrespected. That doesn't mean I say that to the kids, but I've got to be honest with myself about what's going on. That was big to me with my children. Why am I mad right now? Well, I'm feeling dishonored. Mm. Now the question is, are they doing this because they're trying to be dishonoring and defiant, or are they doing it just because they're childish? Or are they doing it because I did or said something and fell in love with him? i got, I got to think this one through here a little bit. And that's the challenge. I can't parent in my, my spare time. And part of the challenge is kids just kept irritating me at times when I didn't want to be irritated. Right. So what we have to do is step back and realize, wait a minute, there's going to be about a 15, 20-year stretch here, a little bit less with the younger kids. But there's a stretch, and I've signed up for this. And what I have to come to this realization is God is using my children to mature me more than he's using me to mature them. And one of the things that Sarah has said, before she had children, she thought she was spiritual. And after she had children, she became spiritual. Mm. And we have to see this not just as a one-sided deal. God is using this child in my life. That doesn't mean that I'm negligent of parenting. I still have to do the guides, G-U-I-D-E-S. But if I'm doing this in an unloving way, then I'm going to completely undermine the very thing that I think I'm trying to do here. I sabotage it. And so I have to prepare myself to be the kind of person that God's calling me to be. And that's why, coming back to what we said earlier, I will actually, I believe this, parents will hear from Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful parent, even though your children were like Judas's. Yeah. That there are children who will disobey, in, in Timothy and Romans, disobedient to parents, disobedient to parents. And again, the father of the prodigal. Jesus didn't hold that father responsible for those two sons. Now, what you and I said earlier, this could lead some people to be irresponsible and use this teaching to justify it. Yeah. But I'm not going to fear teaching the truth because there are some individuals out there who will twist it. Yeah. I'm here for you and me that we tend to shame ourselves and we need to relax here and we need to say okay this is who God's calling me to be this is a process my children may or may not respond to me but this is who I'm going to be 
know, I had a couple come to me to, for parent dedication, and in that conversation, it came out that they were dedicating their child so that God would prevent evil from coming to their children. And I said, whoa, you know, um, actually, this, this isn't child dedication. This is parent dedication. That you're dedicating yourself to bring your child up in the ways of Jesus Christ, right. whether, whether or not your child believes. That this is who you're going to be independent mm -hmm. of your children. And see, this is very frightening to some people because they want formulas. They want to control the outcomes in their kids. But if you take that position, you're going to end up undermining the very thing that you think you're trying to guard against. That's right. So there's an element of faith again that I got to let go of this. I got to be the real deal. Mm -hmm. I got to admit when I wasn't. I got to stay the course. I got to lighten up a little bit. There are guys out there that say when your children try to manipulate, you say, nice try. Right. Right. Nice try. Right. You know, or the kids used to say, you're the worst parent on the planet. I said, yes, I'm finally number one at something. Keep the superlatives coming. Keep them coming. And, and so you have to lighten up a little bit. We take ourselves and our kids way too seriously. We need to get up in the morning and think, I'm a highly driven guy. I'm a type A. And guess what? If they get out of line, I'm going to get irritated. So I got to prepare my heart for this because this isn't about them. This is about God using this child in my life. And if I lose sight of that, then what vision do I really have? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I've heard my dad say that over and over again, that parents take way too much credit for the bad and not enough credit for the good. Mm. You know, that... There is a temperament. You know, it's so crazy. My dad was getting his PhD in the 60s at USC. You know, yes. not some backwater place. USC in the 60s, and they were saying that children born were tabula rosa. They were blank slates, and everything they did was a direct result of your parenting. Well, that's the meanest thing in the world. You know, but well, it's, it's it, not even it, biblical. I, I make that as a major point, Ryan, that in the Old Testament, New Testament, there are four scenarios. Good parents have good children. That's there in the Old and New Testament. Bad parents have bad kids. And that's where we stop. And your point then. So if you got good kids, you're a good parent. If you got bad kids, you're a bad parent. Yeah. Okay. Well, how do you deal with the father of the prodigal? Great father, two bad kids. How does that fit into the formula? Why? Because children are moral spiritual beings who will make their own decisions. And there are psychologists and psychiatrists today who used to take to the clean, the clean slate perspective, but came to the realization that children are spiritual, moral beings who make their own decisions. That's right. And this is a biblical worldview. And, of course, then you've got bad parents having good kids. Josiah was eight years old when he was 16. He began to serve the Lord. But his father and grandfather were wicked. Right. What's with this? Yeah. Because Josiah was free. And I also say this to adult children who had bad parents. If this is true, that bad parents produce bad kids and you had bad parents, then you're predestined to misery. Yeah. I would never say that to you. No. You are free. You are free to go a different way. And that teaching alone then has to be applied to parents realizing your children are far freer than you think. Yeah. And you cannot control them. So what you have to do is create this most loving environment mm -hmm. that best motivates them to choose your faith and values. I agree. I agree. It's a hard road. But that's the, you're talking to the right people, though. Honestly, that's the thing. You're talking to the right people. That's... Mm -hmm. It's the overachievers. It's the people that are like, oh, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not doing enough. You know, kind of when really they're letting go is the hardest thing that we do. Yes. You know, letting go of control because you're right. You cannot, what you said in the beginning, you can force your kids to say thank you. You can't make them grateful. What you want is gratitude. 
but you can't force that. You can't, you know, you can, you can, you can be a prison warden and keep peace, but it doesn't mean there's true peace. You know, the riots right are, you know, on the verge. So I, I love this. And I love that there, it's the, it's that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 48 in, in just less than a month. And my dad is teaching me more about parenting today than he ever has before in my life. Because I have a son and so does my dad. And my dad still parents me all the time because he loves me so much. And I'm learning about love and about my faith and about my heavenly father watching my dad. And then I'm learning about other families whose parents don't do those things and don't care. And how do you talk to someone where they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. My parents were on purpose mean to me. And it's like, oh, that, I'm naive. Yeah, totally. Emerson, um, we've got four laws. I want to talk about the last one for a chunk of time. God's will, abstain from sexual sin. I want to talk about that one on a number of fronts. Uh, we, well, I mean, sir, I mean, sir, just for the listener there, the four laws, believe in Jesus Christ. Yep. Abstain from sexual sin, give thanks in everything, and submit in doing right. In those four passages, John 6.40, you've got 1 Thessalonians 4.3, mm-hmm. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and then you've got 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 15. And as we said earlier, these are highlighted. This is the will of God. And now you're now highlighting, and I put that in an acronym called BAGS, B-A-G-S, that this is the godly baggage that we should carry. And if mm-hmm. we are... Responding to these four, it has a tendency to trigger and uh, activate God's personal response to us. But even if he doesn't, if we have a choice between door A and door B, I make this point. If you can choose either A or B, if you're doing the four wills of God, you're in his will. You're not going to miss his will. And you just say, Lord, your, your will be done, Lord, but I'm going through door A. And I'm going to do what seems best here, in my, but I'm going to continue to follow. I'm going to actively trust you. I'm going to walk in moral purity. I'm going to give thanks to you, and I'm going to continue to submit in doing what's right, even though I can get away with doing what's wrong to my advantage. I'm going to continue to do that and trust that I'm doing your will, and I'm going to relax. I'm just going to relax. I'm not going to panic that somehow I'm missing this mm-hmm. and that you're fully capable of redirecting my steps. And I'm going to get counsel from other people to make sure I'm aligned on those four, that I'm not lying to myself. And I say to people, look, if you're doing these four, your best friends are telling you you're doing these four, and you don't know whether it's door A or door B, relax. And in fact, the teaching on freedom was so big in the New Testament among the Jews who are legalistic that that freedom message, you're, you're, the widow's free to marry whomever she will, 1 Corinthians 7. You know, women were not cattle. She was free to marry Joseph. She was free to marry Aristotle. She was free to be a celibate. Marry whomever you wish in the Lord. And this, but this teaching of freedom was so huge that they had to begin to address it on the other side. Your freedom is not licensed for sin. Mm. And on every epistle, Peter and Paul remind them, you are so free. You can eat a ham sandwich. You don't have to eat a ham sandwich. You can worship on Sabbath, Friday night, or on Resurrection Sunday day. This day is holy. That day, it doesn't. You're free, 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 free. Now, don't get carried away. Don't start indulging the appetites. Mm-hmm. But you're free. Relax. Just enjoy life. That's what I told my daughter Joy, and it blew her out of the water. Well, it gives her responsibility. You put the control and the power back in the person, saying, you know, it's what the Bible says, all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, 
Emerson, we've been talking to lots of people. You know, our very first broadcast was on pornography addiction. Um, it is so pandemic in America. And I'm. it's interesting. I have these two fronts. I get a, a, a wife email or call who's devastated. Her, she found her husband's looking at porn. And I understand those feelings completely. And... What she also doesn't know is that is so, so common. I mean, it is everywhere. And as bad as that is, it also means we can work on it, we can get help, we can move on. I tell you what I'm running into now is this kind of a belief system where, well, I said I was sorry, and all sin is equal, so this really isn't that worse of a sin than anything else, and... You know, you're kind of making a big deal out of this, but, you know, you've got sins too. And, you know, this a little bit of, um, we're making a bigger deal out of this than it is. And I'd just like to talk about that for a moment because this is one of the biggest deals as far as I can, you know, surmise. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's where the challenge that Scripture is extending, that each of us on our watch has to make some tough decisions. And I exactly understand what you're saying. This uh, pornography issue is an addiction. And I, as I often say, the men are not the enemy. They are the victim of the enemy. And sometimes I wish we'd go after the people involved in the pornography industry. Hmm. They, they're the ones who are the instruments of this, and, and, and many of them are women. But uh, apart from that, the challenge for each of us is we've got to come to a point. Where, and in fact, uh, a pastor of a mega church, I spoke the four wills of God, and he stood up and he said, I remember the day and the hour when I said no to pornography. That we have to come to that juncture where we say, I want to be used of God. I want God's hand in my life. I want to live my life in such a way that I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And therefore, I'm going to have to sweat bullets at certain places in my life. I'm going to have to realize I'm not free. And in fact, if I think that I'm free to do this, I'm only going to become enslaved. Mm -hmm. The thing really I think causes me to have this freedom, I'm going to become enslaved to this. And so each of those people out there who, and you probably have them on both sides of the equation you talked about, the guy that's really struggling with this, and I just say, you know, you're going to have to, you probably will always be struggling with this. You have to take this to your grave, just like an alcoholic. Once that addiction sets in, mm -hmm. and you mustn't lie to yourself about that. You just simply come to a point where I'm not going to lie to myself. Nudity, um, the pornography, the, the, the sensuality, the sexuality, it is enticing to me as a male. And it's like the, 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 the monks, the, old, the younger monks said to the older monks, at what point will lust cease in my life? Oh, no problem. Five minutes after you're dead. You know? And so part of the challenge is this is going to be something. Take heed, he who thinks he stands, lest he falls. And, and I, I wish I could give another answer to you. But Billy Graham did what he did because he was a man who walked in moral purity. And the hand of God was on him. And he made a decision. And each of us has to make that decision. Now, on the other side, the individual who's calloused, oh, it's just one sin among others, your conscience is already beginning to be seared. But you know deep in your own heart that's not true. That you know deep in your heart that Jesus said that the pure shall see God. And you're not, you don't make the rules here, so to speak. God loves you and he wants to use you. But if you lie to yourself and lie to other people about this, he's not going to respond to you. In fact, that's contrary to the very character of his, his character of truthfulness. Mm -hmm. But this is a struggle that we all have. But we have to have this goal. What's my goal? My goal is to hear, well done, 
good and faithful servant. I want to be an instrument of Jesus Christ. I want to be fit for the master's use. And there's a price to pay. But there's a price to pay on the other side. And so there's going to be a price to pay. The question is, what is the price that's lesser to pay? And I'm taking the position in the book, it is a lesser price to sweat bullets a little bit, to deal with this issue of godliness, purity of heart, do what you have to, keep the brothers in your life, and, and have a goal, though, of seeking Christ. If you don't have any goal, if you're bored, you're bored in everything, then you'll default to the pornography and to get your high, and you'll live your life that way. But when you are in your deathbed in a hospital vomiting and you no longer have any sensual desires, you will realize you are the fool of Proverbs. You lived your life as a complete fool. Mm. Oof. Preach! I appreciate that. I know you'd say it that way because you've dealt with it for so long, Emerson. You know, I know that with love and respect, with that book, you opened up a can of worms unlike anything else. I mean, it was so revolutionary. It changed so many lives and marriages. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling husbands to take responsibility. You know? Well, I, I'm, I'm appealing to the sense of honor. I'm actually not just trying to slam guys out there, but I believe they're honorable men. In particular, talking about the men. I believe you're an honorable man. I believe you're noble. I believe you die for your wife. I believe you die for your children. I believe you die for Jesus Christ. But this thing has you by the throat. Yeah. This is the one sin that you can walk in integrity. As I've said over the years, there, you, you, every area of your life, you're above board. You're just absolutely outstanding. But this is the one area. Yeah. And, and you just have to be honest about that. And as an honorable man, you're going to have to deal with this. And you have to be willing to suffer through this sometimes alone. Because the world is tempting. And it, there are only two major challenges to the believer, tests and temptations. Yeah. Other than that, it's a piece of cake. And each of us, but here's what I say to guys. You know, there are individuals who came from the, the persecuted countries into America and had lived for Jesus Christ, had been persecuted by him or faithful, but came to this country and, and gave in to temptation because they weren't prepared for temptation. They could deal with the tests, but they couldn't deal with the temptations. I say to guys here, if you deal with these temptations, I personally believe this, if you are obedient in this area, you'll be faithful unto Jesus Christ, even at the point of death. Awesome. Emerson, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for this. It is a gorgeous looking book. It's amazing on the inside. My daughter. That's my daughter's brainchild right there. Joy's idea. That's what she wanted. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for all the things that you do. Give my love to your family. Thanks, Have a great one. Talk to you soon. Rebels, I hope you enjoyed Emerson Egrich. I like talking to him. You know, he's just an interesting guy. We're kind of doing a little bit different uh, kind of programs here. We like to talk to fascinating people about things that will positively impact your life. Emerson Egrich is one of those guys. This book that we talked about, The Four Wills of God, has really deepened my faith walk. And if you really want help in your marriage, I always recommend his book, Love and Respect. The upgrade is going strong. This coming week, you get Allie Worthington alongside Heidi St. John becoming Mom Strong. And week one of Roger Thompson, We Stood Upon Stars. For more information on that, head to rebelupgrade.com, rebelupgrade.com. And if you'd like to get rid of the porn in your life, we recommend something called Circle. You can head to all of our social media pages to find out about that, and it will get rid of the porn in your life, protect your kids, 
do it. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not. We're going to do a whole broadcast on it. When I do the newsletter for Rebel Parenting, sometimes I have a word that I'll get stylized. I'll get a graphic image of a word like prosperity or, or faith or health or something like that. And I'll Google search a word. Um, I'm looking at Entrepreneur Magazine in front of me right now. I could, I could Google Entrepreneur and then you click the image button and then a bunch of different stylized words of entrepreneur come up or, or graphical images of entrepreneur come up. A couple weeks ago, I was telling people about Circle. In our newsletter, you can sign up at rebelparenting.org and the link to uh, the Circle porn filtering device is in there. And I was trying to find a stylized version of the word porn or pornography. Uh, I was at the office where we don't have Circle and I typed into Google the word porn and I clicked image thinking that a stylized version of that word would come up and... No, haha. <laughs> uh, porn came up. <sighs> Apparently, I should know this, and I just didn't. And it really did reiterate how dangerous the internet can be. It doesn't have to be, but it can. And I'm just letting you know, as parents, if you don't do something about it, somebody else will. It's not to guilt you or to shame you. It's just a fact of life. It's out there. Most marriages struggle with pornography. Do something about it in your home. Get Circle or something else. We also use NetNanny. NetNanny doesn't give us anything at all for talking about NetNanny. NetNanny.com. I've had a couple of issues with them and we use it anyway. Covenant Eyes is another organization. We don't get anything from Covenant Eyes. You can use theirs as well. Again, I have my own issues with that. But... Find something and use it in your home. If you want to help out Rebel, grab Circle. It'll help us out. It'll help you out. We use it. I wouldn't put something on that we don't use ourselves. And we, it's because I get the phone calls, man. After the broadcast of my dad's program, uh, I got a lot of pornography ones. I got infidelity ones. I got, oh no, what do I do? My kid looked at porn. And I'm sending everybody links to the broadcast we've done on pornography with Cindy Beal and to Circle and to NetNanny and everything else that I can get for people to help them with that because it's just so insidious. So do something for your family. God bless you all, Rebels. We will see you next week.